I feel like there's a, a trust watch revolution brewing. It, it's going to happen. We will start to appreciate the little details in a in a bezel or in a dial, as opposed to who makes the chunkiest, largest, most unwearable sports watch that is not that durable, actually. And I think we will start to appreciate the refinement and, and excellence in design in more minute details, as opposed to this, look at this kind of watch and kind of design, right? I'm not saying those will go away. They will never go away. On this week's show, we start our guided tours of Watches and Wonders and ask what we can expect from the first four on the concourse, Rolex, Patek, Chopin and Tudor. Then it's an AP fest with chats on all the week's releases from the brand. Finally, break out the breath mints, saddle up your horses and elephants, grab a teddy bear for a cuddle and the keys to your German automobile, while we drive to the end of the rainbow with Piaget and Hublot. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. It is the original gruesome threesome. Does that work? Gruesome twosome? Gruesome threesome? <laughs> gruesome? So, gru- well, yeah, okay. It may, we may not be that gruesome. To be fair, We're videos a are off this morning. We're a stunning set of gentlemen. Gosh. I need you in my life, Ariel, just to follow me around and be nice and positive about me. That that would be useful. You want to fancy that gig? Sure. I, I'll be, I'll be, you know what? I, th- I think of um, like Monty Python, the Holy Grail with uh, the, the bard, you know, clapping the coconuts and like singing about you. <laughs> I could do that. A little, 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 you know, <laughs> I could just imagine your coconuts following me all around uh, the watch world. So I think a present for watches and wonders, you should bring some coconuts with you and we can just traipse around the main hall clapping coconuts saying how wonderful everything is. We, we need to probably get our wonderful meter, like, revved up, rather than turning up as cynical old journalistic hacks to watch and wonders going bah I, I'm going to guess something which is going to happen when we go there. This is, I'm going to guess, you will see if this happens. We're going to go to Brands, and we're going to see a familiar face, but we're not going to expect him to have worked there, and then they're going to be confused why we don't say anything, because we didn't say, oh, you work here now, because we'll just be like, because <laughs> this happens all the time, but I have a feeling this year, more than ever, the game of musical chairs will uh-huh. result in us having some awkward stare of like, this happened to me today. I was like, I was talking to someone. They're like, everyone was waiting for me to say something. Like, did you notice the difference? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh my God. <laughs> I swear they made a game out of it. Like, did you notice the new team member? Because like, I know you, but not from this group of people, from another group of people. <laughs> I have I have this trick with my, we have a, like a, a pact that whenever we go somewhere where I am the person who is the more known one or it's a meeting I'm going to that she's coming to or a social event that's, you know, business related or whatever, that if when I introduce everybody, I don't use their name, it's because I've forgotten their name and she has to introduce herself using her name so that they use their name so that it allows me to place as to who on earth they are. So if I meet you in Watches and Wonders and I don't introduce you by name, it's because I've entirely forgotten who you are and I apologize in advance. David, most embarrassing moment at Watches and Wonders? Oh, jeez. It's going to be toilet related for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a bunch of people <laughs> with crossed legs trying to find Already the, uh... with a toilet humor, David? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, like, you know, I've been just waiting for like eight months, nine months now to start making uh, Paul Expo toilet humor. Um, yeah, that's, that's what it is. You know, like well-dressed people you know, running between, like carving themselves two minutes in their life, uh, daily life or daily schedule at Watches and Wonders. And like, sure, I will go and get a juice and maybe a coffee and go to the restroom no 
it's like a five minute hike just to get there and i'm not sure it's going to change anytime soon because that's how Polix was constructed and it's just fun like oh you know like you you go back uh like behind the scenes and it's it's not very nice and it's it's just uncouth yeah. you know to even mention this <laughs> David, whole thing. i have to say one thing about this yeah. i saw the map of the new layout and it is okay. different it yes, is different it is, it is. The question is, are there more bathrooms? Are there more bathrooms? I'm <laughs> no, not sure, not. but the map is different. So everything we know about how to get to them is now changed. Great. <laughs> <laughs> want to make a bet? Go on. Want to make a bet if there's like one single toilet sign on this entire map? There is not. Oh, there is a WC. Okay, there it is. Okay, well, huh. it's gray on gray, of course, because it's uncouth, but it's, it's there. <laughs> We're going to explore the Watches and Wonders map shortly, but I do recall last year that I spent some time with Ariel uh, being introduced to Rob Corder from Watch Pro in the queue to the toilet, which was all sorts of weird. Mm. But uh, the, as you kind of, you're sitting, you're standing in that kind of corridor to go around the back of the stands and you're being passed by everybody who's clearly desperate and is going, you're trying to have a meeting or an introduction and they're kind of sheepishly walking past you on the way to do their number ones and their number twos uh, it's just weird it is weird queuing for toilets in suits or with people in suits while you know the journalistic team are all in like jeans and t-shirts carrying all their luggage but i'm ready to mo- i'm ready to move on past the toilet yeah, to move on. yeah let's move on <laughs> We were going to have a quick chat about Watching Wonders because the map is out, the bookings are open, we're starting to make our reservations. So I thought we'd take a quick tour over the next few weeks of the map. So we're going to basically go in to Watching Wonders and turn left and speak about the first three or four brands we come to as to what we expect them to be doing what our expectations and hopes are so if we come in the door and we're going to ignore the the little parade bit with all the small brands just now but you come in the door and you turn left you're greeted by five brands but we'll deal with four of them you will have patek philippe on your right followed by chopard and then rolex and tudor on the left so rolex tudor is this going to be our first meeting this year? I think it normally is with Rolex. I'm not sure what's happening this year. Yeah, it's it's our first meeting. And look, I want to say something especially about Tudor and Rolex and Patek Philippe. There's no theme. There's no way of planning what they're doing. In the sense, it's random. I'm just saying, like, you can guess, but there's no strategy. You're not like, well, I think this is going to make the most sense for them. If you're trying to go up that logic, you're never going to figure it out. Well, what I wonder about the brands this year is how many of them have been in the planning for what? they're going to release this year for more than a calendar year because obviously attitudes in the world have changed the world economy has changed we've got a war in ukraine you know the world is generally quite a depressing place right now and if brands have been planning for three or four years for this big release this new range or whatever or they've been planning, yeah 2023 we're going to produce everything in gold then some of the stuff could potentially land when it's everybody's like, eh, well, maybe that wasn't the thing to do this year. That's not really how it works. They have products they work on, mm-hmm. but there's a different decision-making process to the ones released. So they could have a product ready for a decade, five years. It's not that uncommon. 
And they're just like, yeah, now's not the time to release it. They're like, oh, we need a couple steel watches, some steel and gold watches, some all gold watches. And they have a mix and they sit around and they nod their he heads. Oh, this is a very strong collection. Absolutely. Oh, that one, that one, let's save till next year. Let's hold that one back right there. Like that's, that's the conversation. It's not any more complicated than that. So yes, they are taking multiple years and there are geopolitical and economic things that affect what they release. But honestly, I don't think Rolex puts too much stock into that they like to pretend like the world doesn't affect rolex and rolex doesn't affect the world and in a lot of ways that's been good for them because it looks like makes them look very stable like they're not influenced by the world like one of the things i think that people don't understand is that yes corporations do need to be responsive to geopolitical events but when they are too responsive it makes them look weak and, and, and unstable and like they have no direction and these sort of old conservative houses, like watch brands that appear to like change at a glacial rate, people admire them when they don't change during hard times. They're like, oh, they, they must think everything is safe and cool. I, I feel better now. So there's something comforting about this entire lack of paying attention to the world around them. So we're not expecting anyone to produce a watch in the colors of the Ukrainian flag for launching at Watches and Wonders then? Oh my gosh, could you imagine? <laughs> Oh, can you imagine coming into that? That would be spectacular. So we introduced a brand new unit of measurement last week, which was the Psi Master or the Psi Meter. So 10 is full on Psi and zero is full on. Oh, that's actually really interesting. So as we go around these four brands, what do we expect? Do we expect Rolex to be a five out of 10? Do we think there's going to be anything brand new or is it going to be iterations Oh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be sigh for sure. Uh, and and the thing that makes it not sigh for me is like the crazy stuff, the diamond set or sapphire set things that they show us mm. on our second meeting or whatever, uh, or at the end of our first meeting. And uh, yeah, that's that's the bunker stuff that nobody really cares about, other than the top one percent of the top one percent of Rolex customers and and us, you know, watch journalists who are like burned out from the minute changes to a dial or a dial color or whatever else. But I'm hoping for the return of more colors to the Oyster Perpetual. That would be fun for sure. So new colors for the OP. Yep. Ariel, a single prediction for Rolex? A steel sports watch that people are going to go crazy about. Ooh, <laughs> you're playing it safe. <laughs> Revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that that's going to happen. Just so you know. <laughs> steel sports watch from Rolex. And so baby brother Tudor. So do we expect more size from Tudor or more size from Rolex in terms of what they produce? Probably be another Meta certified movement. I don't right. know what it's going to be in. Uh, they released that, you know, this last year, the first Meta certified one, and they didn't really go into it that much. But I think that yeah. that's, that's cool and that's a big deal. So there might be more of that. There's going to be something related to the manufacturing and, and, and stuff like that. So something related to movement. So maybe a move, new movement. They might tell the meta story. So I think that's going to be the big thing for them. I'm not anticipating any wild new designs. I think we're going to see some really, you know, just revisions here and there, mostly probably technical story about movements, maybe a new movement or something like that. I don't feel like there's going to be any new like collections or anything like that. I think it's fair to say that Tudor probably has captured more of the watch imagination in the last few years than Rolex has. Do we think that trend will continue this year, David? I, what, what do you mean public imagination more, more by Tudor? Well, in the, I think, bang for buck. So mm. right, going right back to the release of the GMT, the Black Bay GMT, the Pepsi GMT, I think that was when Tudor really, 
announced themselves as, wait a minute, we are actually the Rolex that's prepared to push the boat out, go in a slightly different, be a slightly more quirky. You had the P01, you had the stuff they did with the all blacks, the ceramics, the metas that Ariel's touched on. Actually something that was genuinely interesting rather than just iteration. Yeah. I don't think we've seen much in the way of new from Rolex. Hmm. What we've seen is we've seen or oh, here is the next obvious thing whether it's now the color choice might not be obvious but it, and going left-hand drive is maybe not obvious but it wasn't revolutionary i mean it was exactly 180 degrees revolutionary but it wasn't revolutionary whereas tudor i think you can see actually that is a bit left field hmm. do we think tudor will continue to be that to the sure. rolex group yeah, I think I think Tudor, the best Tudor watches are the left wheel Tudor watches, not the Black Bay. The Black Bay is, is a very strong product, but it's it's extremely average. It's like it's like as though it was designed by a very intelligent Excel sheet or an AI that browsed all the all the watch forums and designed the perfect watch based on what people want. But sometimes, you know, a little bit of quirkiness uh, adds adds just that little touch of playfulness that makes a watch exciting to own and wear beyond the scope of the first few months and and uh, the the security feeling wears off like oh my god i have the perfect watch it's so great i feel so safe and then it's boring and the same with the with the left hand drive stuff that they did with tudor first titanium they did with tudor first ceramic they're doing with tudor first in terms of the larger case of course with rolex had the ceracron bezel since like 2005 or something like that and so I, I really hope that Tudor will keep on this quirkiness. The, the P01 was uh, a dog's dinner, basically, in, in all kinds of ways. But at least it was something. And yeah, I hope that we will see some new material or maybe just some, some mix, mix and match with, uh, with bronze, with, with silver, with ceramic, with whatever. And I really appreciate that Tudor is the more playful side of Rolex. And again, sometimes a couple of years into the future, we see Rolex replicate what Tudor was testing the waters with. So that's, that's always exciting. Cool. So other side of the hall will be Patek. I don't really know where Patek go right now. Feels like they've kind of been pushed and pulled in the direction of, oh, let's get rid of this really popular stuff, the populace that's focused on the complications. And then I've been pulled straight back to producing <laughs> new watches that look like the old sports watches. Do we think Patek will continue just to plough their own furrow or do we think we're going to be highly impressed at something that's going on? Or is just going to be pure silence? I mean, <laughs> look, the Patek Philippe meetings have been some of the stranger things over the last couple of years. You know, they've really sort of distributed the the, the sort of attention. You know, they, they, they don't make that many of the high complication watches and they just try to tr spread them out around the world. Not that many come to the U.S. They can't even get, you know, media attention around all of them because they make so few many like samples. Like Patek is kind of just riding a wave a little bit. You know, it's not... Not everything's perfect. They're not selling everything, but they're doing okay. They always do pretty well with the high complications. I think that what I want to see more of is mid-range watches are appealing. We know at the bottom range with an Aquanaut or a Nautilus, which again, still expensive for bottom range. Uh, they're just super popular. But like, I'd love to see the Calatrava be something that we want to talk about. I feel that Patek Philippe is kind of like where Rolex was at a certain point where there'd be like some models the enthusiasts talked about, but like the popular ones, like the date shows, like enthusiasts never talked about. And that's a little bit different now, but say about 10 years ago, like there'd never be an enthusiast conversation about it around a date trust. Like it just wouldn't happen. And I feel like the, the Calatrava, which of which comprises many models really sort of is that. So I'd love to see them be less focused on like, here's your next $250,000 watch 
or here's your next Nautilus that you know you're not going to be able to buy to something that like you could get you know really into. And I think that a brand like Vacheron Constantin has done a better job at having some of those you know entry level gold watches, for example, they're just really cool and interesting, and they do a good job. I'd like to see Patek Philippe maybe make some of their I don't know like next to accessible range watches more compelling for the enthusiast. I, I think Aria is making an excellent point with the color travel, and especially by saying that I, I wish we, it was something that we wanted to talk about more. I feel like there's a, a dress watch revolution brewing. It's uh, it's going to happen within the next few years when people just get excited and we will start to appreciate the refinements or, or the little details in a in a bezel or in a in a more minimalist style or something like that. As opposed to who makes the chunkiest, largest, most unwearable sports watch that is not that durable, actually. And oh, look at this dive bezel and like whatever. You know, we've been we've been having that for so long, and I think we will start to appreciate the refinement and and excellence in design in more minute details. As opposed to this, look at this kind of watch and kind of design, right? I'm not saying those will go away; they will never go away. But the way the dress watch has been basically dying and, and been ignored for the last 10, 10 or 15 years is, is crazy. You know, like not even Rolex could get any traction with the Cellini. Part of the reason is that it was not a very strong collection at all or, or a good design. But if someone can do it and if someone can kickstart this, uh, this thing, then it's certainly uh, Patek with the Colette So, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for something like that. I'm inclined to agree with you, David, that the dress watch will or is making a comeback i think the steel sports watches are slowly becoming more dressy and it's just going to be up to one brand to produce something that really hits home and then we could see a real flick i don't know if it's as a result of covid and so many people now working from home that actually the specialism of almost dressing up to go into the office is actually more of a thing you know actually i'm going to put on a suit because i haven't worn a suit for like a year and a half and i'm going to put on a, a dress watch rather than you know a deep sea or a, a royal oak or whatever i'm actually going to put on a proper dress watch with a nice leather strap and a complication you know, you're on to something i think it's interesting you mentioned that it, it, what could happen is it because people are deprived of so much of these social uh, scenarios you're talking about any opportunity to be around other people becomes a need to dress up so going to the supermarket or, or basic shopping i mean maybe not like going to the hardware store but like something where you wouldn't normally dress up you're like i'm going to the supermall i'm going to put a dress watch on and maybe a suit or something like that like i can see that happening because people have a need to show off at some point if they're doing it at work all day then yeah maybe by the time they're going to the gym they don't care but if that work showing off doesn't happen then the gym time becomes the de facto moment where they can you know peacock a little bit and and men and women are drawn to that and i, th I think you know if nothing else then during covid and lockdown and the rest of it everyone who's a watch geek has bought so many watches that you need an excuse to change into something else <laughs> otherwise why have you got all these watches <laughs> if you never wear them uh brand i'm particularly looking forward to seeing is our last one for today is Chopard. Uh, I just think the brand is on fire. To me, they can do very little wrong at the moment. They're great people to deal with. It will be a fantastic booth and display. They're right in the middle of it between Rolex, Patek and opposite Tudor. How excited are you to see what Chopard have to offer? And do you have any particular expectations on what we might see? 
Chopar is the is the thinking man's peacock Philip. You know, it's it, it's where you look <laughs> when you when you want to spend your money more wisely. Sure, you know, a Patak is a Philip is is a Patak, uh, you know, until the uh, until eternity. But Chopar and the LUC line of watches is just fantastic, and and they have a more playful side as well. And the quality has always been there. They have come a long way, but uh, honestly, it's one of the highest quality brands across the board, and uh, and I respect them for that. And they have. A very, they make very few design mistakes as far as I'm concerned. So Chopar is a brand that doesn't produce a terribly high number of references anymore. But even if I go to their website and just browse around, there's always at least a few watches that I could see myself wearing and picking up. And and um, and for that reason, I hope that they will bring out something else uh, this year to entice me and, and um, to keep this uh, ball rolling that they've had. Uh, for a number of years now, yeah. David, you could be on, on a happy note when you meet with them because I think that the classic racing, sometimes the known as the Milamiglia collection, mm-hmm. which is the bigger ones, is due for some total revision. Some of those watches are platform that have been around for like 15 years now yeah. with some of the larger ones like the, the Monaco Historique and uh, I think the classic racing it's called now. That collection was nice, but again, it's just this has been around forever, and they they know it, and they say probably stuff is coming. That might be mm. a sort of new area to get excited about. If it's not this year, it will come soon. We're probably going to see more complications in LUC, so that's always something that's interesting. I'm not sure exactly what. I do hope that we're going to see more titanium in Alpine Eagle because it's so freaking cool in titanium. Oh, yeah. Really, really cool. There's only a few of those that have been made so far in titanium, so it's very rare to see them, but they they have they do exist. And I do think that, you know, the, the, the dress watches, if there's anyone that has a sexy dress watch, it's Chopard. They can still make more of them, but the XP and the XPS mm-hmm. and all that, those, you know, those really nice, thin micro rotor automatic movements, the very elegant dials. I mean, if I had to go out and spend, you know, money on a gold dress watch like Chopard would be in a very uh, you know short list and they have you know different ones they have the you know they have the LUC ones that have some of the fancier movements and stuff that a little thicker but they have some really thin stuff as well I, I think the problem is Chopard can't focus on as much stuff as they have so they can only trickle in new stuff but it'd be so great to see them playing around with all those collections at the same time Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real. We've been slightly short on the watch reviews the past few shows. We have been exploring all sorts of other things, so we're going to try and rattle through quite a lot of actual watch reviews. And this week, one of our main focuses is going to be a big brand that's not going to be at Watches and Wonders, at least not formally, but has chosen this time of year, I think for the past couple of years, to inject a load of watches and fresh impetus into the market, and that is Audemars Piguet, and they have released a shed load of updates, a large number of new watches, 
was going to say focused around the code 1159, but it's actually been a fairly even spread between the offshore. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff. Royal Oak really a lot. And the 1159. But the one that everyone is talking about is probably. I mean, I'm not quite sure what defines a super complication, but uh, there's certainly a lot of complications on this, and this is the Code 1159 Ultra Complication Universal RD4 Watch. They've basically thrown the kitchen sink at this, and they've thrown a load of numbers at a wall and got a price of $1.6 million. Is this the final coming out of the code 1159 into a watch everyone goes you know what that's actually pretty cool i mean it sounds like you just said it is right like no one has complained no one's like gosh darn it code 1159 people are like oh this is cool so i haven't read all the comments i'm sure they're not universally positive but i think that the problem i'm guessing the consensus is finally you know, the, the, the code 1159 is beyond being made fun of immediately, right? Because that was everyone did. There's made fun of it. Now it's like, oh, <laughs> I, that's not what I want to do. I want to actually compliment it. And I actually want to say good things. And this vividly complicated watch is just that. It's it's cool. It's got a lot of talking points. But this is, you know, this is old school style Audemars Piguet nerdery. They were always lamenting the fact that the Jules Audemars collection, nobody wanted to buy it. You know, it was the round watches they had. And they they love those. They're like, this is the classic AP. This is actually who we are. And nobody wanted to buy it. Yeah. And now they're like, wait a minute, we have a new round watch. And so now Code 1159 is the, you know, Code 1159 Jules or whatever. I don't know, the Jules 59. Code them whatever, it is, whatever. This is what it's become. So their dress watch is now this again and it's a combination of classic and modern and they get to like use some of the movements that they've been working on that just i guess they'll make sense in a royal oak at some point but they just don't want to do it they're just like so sick of putting stuff in royal oaks only so i feel like they had a good time with this and this is this is the autumn rp gay from like the history books when you look at and you appreciate especially in the 20th century what they were doing you know pre-1950 and stuff like that those amazing one-of-a-kind watches. This is very reminiscent of some of that stuff if it was made today. And so that's why I think these are so um, appreciated. The skeletonized one, they're all open. Uh, I actually don't like those as much as the closed dials, but they've got a, they got a slew of them. I agree. I think the skeletonized just doesn't quite work. But, uh, you know, if you like that kind of thing, you like that kind of thing. So it gets full points, full marks for me. Those that listen to the show will know I have a thing about perpetual calendars and how you display but they display everything exactly the same way in a window rather than accidentally using like uh or a sub register for something so they get full marks for that the only thing my, my one and it's a half hunter case i love half hunter cases great stuff my only complaint is you've put all these complications in and you've not included a gmt function which just strikes me as odd you know, when you sit down at a bit of paper and go, right, okay, we're going to fill this watch with everything. You start off and you go out three hands with your running seconds. Okay, we put a turbo on it. We'll put a chronograph on it, a GMT, a sonnery, a body body. I, I, you know, not just an annual calendar, but a perpetual calendar. I, I don't know how come GMT got missed off of this. I don't know if it's a particular reason, but I just think it's... For 1.6 million, I, I would like a GMT function, please. Mr. Odomar P.A. 
<laughs> Sorry, no sale. <laughs> That's right. Not buying it. Object. <laughs> uh, the code eleven fifty nine is, is is a tricky one. I wrote the article on the self winding and the and the chronograph and. Uh, it's uh, I I use this word I, I love this word it's uh, it's I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly but it's Schadenfreude or Schadenfreude I think that that's what it is Schadenfreude yeah Schadenfreude and it's a uh, it's basically when somebody takes uh, or finds pleasure in somebody else's misfortune and I think watch enthusiast community as a whole as uh, you know sometimes partial to a little bit of Schadenfreude and I think that's what what happened with the 1159 and part of the reason for that is again. And this this tendency to to go or this appetite uh, for this sort of behavior, but on the other hand, it's also AP has built this image uh, on the back of the Royal Oak, saying you know with all these lofty motos and 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 bunkers advertising and all that other stuff that oh you know we're mastering the rules and we are, we are breaking them and whatever and and sure it's it's easy to say that when you're making essentially the same watch over and over again and, and you're building on such a solid foundation that is so difficult to get wrong. Uh, but at the same time, when you do something new and you, you tell everyone that you are the master and then you come out with a watch that looks not unlike something that costs a fraction of your novelty, like literally a tenth or even a hundredth of, of, of that price, then people will laugh at you and say, okay, what, what kind of master are you? It's, it's, you know, it's the emperor in, in his new clothes, basically. And uh, now it's shaping up to be a watch that is as complex, that is as refined as I think it should have been on the first try. And again, it's perfectly fine. It's it's not about you know it's not about ha ha you didn't get it right the first time. It's about ha ha you had such a huge ego, um, you know for so long just because you were not put up to the test. And the moment you were, then you failed. And I think that's that's what what people are are, are seeing in this, or at least what they saw about three maybe four years ago now. And again, I I want to see the eleven fifty nine succeed, and I I would love to see AP become more than a one one watch brand. And maybe it will it will come to that, but I I disregard these high complication eleven fifty nines because there's so much to distract from the basic uh, fundamental shortcomings of the of the original design. That sure, of course, the perpetual is going to look great and the chronograph is going to look better, but you know it just perfectly exemplifies how difficult it is to make a three hand watch look good and how easy it is to make a complicated watch look desirable. So, what do you think then of the fact that they've introduced the three-hand version obviously it was the the white dialed three-hander that i think led the charge in the launch which turned quite a lot of people off i mean i don't think from day one the code 1159 was a bad watch or even a bad looking watch you know it was just a really expensive watch that looked like it'd been designed by bremen no the dial the dials and hands were bad they were objectively were they bad? bad right okay <laughs> so there you exactly. go ariel says so Fair enough, they were bad, but what I thought was actually the main problem was the marketing, was the was the chat behind it. As David says, this is going to revolutionize the world. No, that was, that was probably a... worse, you're right. It was Both just going to be another watch. Both of them were bad. So have they recovered that with the launch of the new three-handers, which is effectively your entry-level AP at about, was it 23 grand or something? What do they call these? I know they're 1159, but did they just have a generic name like self-winding chronograph and then stuff like like yes like the kind of like the royal oak like the royal oak self-winding like okay yeah, we get it's it 1159 self-winding yeah and self-winding chronograph I, I i like this for me the three-hander is really the interesting one you can take anything and just put a chronograph there it's fine it'll sell well the three-hander you got to get done right i haven't seen it in person 
So I don't know, but you have a new kind of texture dial that is is going to be it's it's fresh. You know, the the hands and the hour markers look significantly better. Are they a lot more original? No. But I think that it's a better thing. What I think one of the things that's interesting a bit of a tangent is it's the first time that I think that they released an AP that just says AP on the dial. It doesn't say how to mark Gay. It doesn't even say on the dial. It just says AP. That's one of the offshores, not this one. But I'm, I'm just saying that because it's very the dial is very sparse. It just says the brand. It's elegant. Um, one of the things that concerns me is these straps. There's these fabric straps, which, again, they always look great in pictures. They always look great in photography. I have yet to wear a fabric strap that I really feel is a luxury thing. Like it's very rare to be like, yeah, this is a luxury strap. They fray, they're stiff. They got issues. They look cool, but I have reservations about how great the strap is going to be. And if you're not going to wear it on this strap that kind of matches the dial texture and color, the question is, is this just going to be another, you know, watch on a, on an alligator, crocodile, a leather, whatever. And so I, I'd like to see these in the real world. I'd like to feel them, but I'm very open-minded here. I'm just looking at, at at a Breguet 5157, which is a round gold gold cased watch, not steel but gold, with the proper hand turned guilloche dial, priced at you know like over ten grand less than the AP, um, you know, or close. Uh, sorry, I should say like eight grand less. And, and you know, th there you get the name, you get the movement, you get the case, you get you get the dial, you get you can you get a guilloche turned winding rotor and all that, and it's very slim and beautifully wearable. And this is just begs the question, like, okay, you get a stamped dial and a steel case on a leather strap for like $25,000. It just shows that, okay, this watch exists in, in the uh, microcosm of AP, but not within like... Let's defend something here, David. I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but AP compared to Breguet is a more valuable brand in terms of desirability right now. Breguet knows, and we love Breguet, but they know that they have a lot to improve on here. AP has pumped a lot of time and effort into desirability. So you're right. Uh, when it comes to just a value proposition, AP has never been a good value proposition in any recent history. But that's not the point. It is undeniably a much more desired product. And so to have the latest AP that isn't the Royal Oak could be very valuable and exciting to a lot of people. There's a lot of collectors that have APs and they're just, they just don't want another Royal Oak. This is going to be something that they're going to buy. Oh, I agree. I agree entirely. I was just raising this point without the brand that I, you know, admittedly, you cannot distract the brand from something like this when you're spending 25K. But I just wanted to raise the point that how much watch you can get from another historic brand um, for how much less, basically. But I agree. Once you put the brand in, but some of our listeners probably don't value the brand quite so much. And they are like, you know, here's just give me one, like a few examples of better watches for less. And I, I figured, okay, this would be a good example. I didn't bring Chopar or something else where there's like a very clear difference. Maybe it's just me. I'm sure it doesn't have the street cred of Breguet, but you know, maybe you're not looking for street cred. Maybe you're, you're looking for a historic brand with a beautifully made watch and uh, you know, for a whole lot less, but who knows? But, but I agree. Yes, sure. A AP has built a stronger brand and has done much better on that front than Breguet has for sure. And we will leave this bit of the chat by just saying, AP, why have you only produced this at 30 meters water resistant? I mean, just uh, makes zero sense if this is supposed to be, because it's not a dress watch. It's a watch it's for a, space. You're not supposed to go down. You're supposed to go up. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget that. The, the next moon watch. It just strikes me as bizarre that you would just rate this at 30 meters. At least go to 50. 
uh, if not more. I, I, I can't tell whether it's, it looks like it might be a screw down crown, but maybe it isn't. Not that that makes a lot of difference. There are plenty of watches with 100 metre water resistance that don't even have screw down crowns. But uh, yeah, it's just odd that the three-hander in particular is only 30 metres. I could maybe understand the chronograph if you didn't want to change the way the pushers work and the kind of internals of that. But to have a, a single crown watch that's supposed to be a sports watch that's only 30 metre water resistant for 20-odd grand just strikes me as very peculiar. Along with the 1159, there's also been a whole load of Royal Oak releases. Can these two watches continue to exist together? Or does one now have to grow at the expense of the other? The 1159 is slowly, very slowly, going to start to become more of an icon for AP. You can see the money they're putting into it, the effort that's going into it, the marketing, all the rest of it. Can a brand like AP that only produces 40, 50,000 watches a year actually exist with two iconic watches? Or do they have to slowly make one of them very, very limited? For example, the Royal Oak, as time continues. Well, let's not forget that Audemars Piguet has bold ambitions to create more watches. Uh, several years ago, they said they weren't going to make more than about 40,000. I think it went up to about 50,000. And then my understanding is that the the board post Benamias wants to make more watches. It's, you know, there's, there's various reports about how much they want to make, but they'll ostensibly have to have a bunch of different products that appeal to different groups. I think that part of their plan is they know they can't just sell more Royal Oaks. They have to have other desirable things. So I think that if they actually want to get to that point over the next five or so years, we're going to see a lot more experimentation. Hopefully the code 1159 is a success, but they're going to have to do more. So really investing in creativity as well as industrialization is going to be something that they're absolutely going to have to do. Um, I know it's a different company altogether, but if you look at a brand like Breitling, they've also tried to do that. They've tried to create you know, multiple pillars, uh, not just one. And so I think that that's really the core struggle that the brand has is, is no one's really clear why, for a reason, with all the taste, with all the connections they have, with all the designers that they could hire at, at any time, why they seem to be so stuck on not being able to build uh, other pillars. Is there a better proper sports watch, like a watch you could actually wear you know, in any circumstance than the Royal Oak Offshore at the moment. Is that the pinnacle of that kind of sports watch, David? Because I think it's pretty close to being where it's at now, you know, moving away from, you know, the deep sea or, I don't know, whatever the equivalents would be elsewhere. I don't think the Royal Oak is, is a sports watch. It's a, it's a sports casual watch at best. And I wouldn't call it the best at what it is either. I, I don't think it's is that great. Uh, I don't think it looks particularly good on the wrist. It's it's a beautiful object. But as is the case with these integrated steel bracelet watches a lot of the time, and strangely, the more modern an integrated bracelet watch is, the better it usually, as far as I'm concerned, sits on the wrist. And these older designs from the 70s and the 80s, when they are like an exact reproduction or relaunch, like the Vacheron 222, for example, beautiful watches. But once you put them on the wrist, they just look too long, too ungainly. There's broad shoulders and lugs and stuff. And it's just 
it just looks odd on the wrist in some ways. And I think, you know, you, you can't claim it to be the best watch if it looks weird on the wrist. And I'm, I'm yet to see too many Royal Oaks out there that, that are worn and that look comfortable or, or natural on the wrist. And, uh, yeah, I, I could go on about that, but I've, I, it's such a, such a complicated market with so many strong uh, propositions that I, I wouldn't claim the, the, the Royal Oak is the best by any stretch of the imagination. So it's a great watch, except for all the things that make it rubbish. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ariel, your nomination for the best sports watch going at the moment, proper rugged sports utility watch. I'm not getting into this. There's like, this is like thousand, oh, thousand always, page. Almost got you. Almost got no, you. No, <laughs> because there's so many like categories here. I mean, I, I, I've been living years wearing so many great sport watches having to rank one versus the other i mean the idea is the right watch for the right job you know give me a hyper specific scenario and then maybe i'll boil it down to 40 watches right like it's hard to do <laughs> there's so many cool sport watches out there awesome stuff so much for most people except maybe david the royal oak does vibe in some sort of way is an attractive looking watch but a brand who continue to produce their version of the steel sports integrated watch that i just can't get on board with and i don't know why so i'm going to ask you guys to explain it to me we review one of them this week at piaget the pomo perpetual calendar ultra thin now i can get on board with the show parts I know the Alpine Eagle, I can get on board with the Parmigiani and the Tondas and the Zeniths with their Defy, even the Bremens and the way they're going about these integrated. But for some reason, I look at the Pomo and it just, I, I'm just like, no. And I don't really understand why. Is it just me or is there something that just doesn't sit with what Piaget are doing with this design currently? I like the polo on the wrist. I think that it's actually more flattering when you wear it than in pictures. It looks it right. looks a bit awkward, uh, honestly, when you see it in pictures. Once mm. you put on the wrist, it makes a, a lot more sense. Again, I don't think that Piaget has done anything from a marketing perspective to explain what what polo means. There's like so much more, you know, mystique around the Royal Oak, for example. Like they're just like polo, and you're like. That thing that we associate another brand with? Yes, Polo. <laughs> to water brands, like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so it's like, I, it's a great thing, but I don't think Piaget understands that, like, it needs a bit of a rebrand. Do you have Polo Mints in the United States? Do you know what, what Polo Mint is? No. Oh, the Mint? No. Polo Mint? The Mint. Polo Mint. I know what that maybe, is. I don't know that we have that very often. Yeah. I'd, I'd, maybe that's my problem. Maybe it is word association. You're maybe associating it with uh, Ralph Lauren. I'm associating it with a kind of breath mint. <laughs> yeah, there's the <laughs> car, that's... the Volkswagen Polo. Wasn't yeah, that, yeah. Too? It's uh, so uh, there we go. Like, David, no, I mean... no, no one in the world, if you like, if you actually like Polo, you don't want to let anyone know because it's one of the most like, decadent sports right yes like and, <laughs> and if you're not into polo you just think it's like a, an embarrassment to the, to the fading aristocracy or something like that so i just piaget has to like be like you know what yes that was a historical name but you know chopard took the saint moritz and turned it into the alpine eagle and now everyone likes it like that's a success story yeah i'll have you know that scotland are i don't know if they're current world champions but were for a good number of years world champions at elephant polo 
So maybe they just need to. That sounds like it smells more... awful, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> need to get more engaged with the heavyweight <laughs> elephants than the lightweight pomo ponies. <laughs> this particular Piaget, David, uh, what do you think of it? It, it? I think my problem is it feel the way the dial is laid out feels a bit like one of those. I'm sorry, Piaget, like Chinese knockoff. It really crappy movements. It, where everything is kind of crushed in the middle. Oh, the the, the perpetual, you mean? I, 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 well, yeah. getting back to the, the polo for a second, it the original polo from the nineteen late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties that Piaget made had so much character. If you look them up, yeah, they had these long uh, stripes or strips in the bracelet, and not even in the case and the dial, the whole thing was bonkers to look at. It was this typical 1980s, you know, barely um, legally operating banker's watch kind of stuff. It was ridiculously <laughs> over the top. And and I feel like they should have owned it. And by contrast, what they did is that they created something that looks like a toilet seat or something that was phoned down. Like somebody over the phone explained how Nautilus and the Royal Oak looks like. And then they put the two together and then that's what it is. And Piaget, and they just put Piaget on the dial in like big letters, like Piaget. And then, sure, but it doesn't make me want it anymore. The bracelet could be from any other watch, whereas they have so much history in this watch and such a cool and powerful design. I, I'm, I'm baffled why they didn't go and, and own it. And, you know, maybe it could have been just a halo piece. Just just produce like a thousand of these crazy ones and then have, have everyone else wear the polo as we know it today but you know there should be something that carries this collection like ariel said there should be more advertising more marketing behind it more explanation what it is and why it's interesting and and that's just that's just not happening as far as the perpetual is concerned it's a 60 grand watch i'm really i have no idea where that that price is coming from and and who's gonna buy this at that at that at that price when you can buy really decent um, perpetuals from other brands for for way less and uh, just just going back to the decadence of Polo for a second, I just looked at the price on the Richard Mille RM fifty three oh one from Pablo McDonough, and it's three point three million dollars. <laughs> and <laughs> and at some point, I, I it's it's the biggest stretch ever that I played Polo with one of these on. But I went to France with Richard Mille at some point, and they put us on freaking horses <laughs> with these watches on. And everyone's just like, I had the tamest horse ever, but I was so freaking out that it had like a mind of its own. I can drive virtually any car as fast as, as I dare. But I was sitting on this sedated pony and I was just freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> not, not particularly because of the value of the watch that I was wearing because I, I felt like it, it was built like a tank. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, this is such an out-of-body experience and so out of line with who I am and, and what, I, what, I, what I do on a daily basis playing, you know, uh, imitating polo <laughs> somewhere in like France <laughs> or wherever <laughs> with a $3.3 million watch on the wrist. And it's, it's the ridiculous stuff like this that happens in this industry that I that, that COVID has done away with largely, but I'm sure it's coming back at some point and it's just something fun to look back at. But again, it's it really is something that people who were there, they were not posting it on Instagram that, oh, we are playing polo or something like that. No, it's just it's just for fun for the top 1% of the 1%. Can I just make a public information announcement to any watch brands that are listening that I both ride horses and ski. So if anybody wants to stop inviting the blog to watch team members that can do neither or are petrified of the animals, then I'm your guy. <laughs> so there we go. 
Okay, we are joined by Amir from Code 41, who's got some special news from that company. You may be familiar to it from some of the coverage at blogtowatch.com. If you have never checked out the Code 41 website, then I highly recommend you do, and I highly recommend you immediately go. Like, the watches are great and everything, but immediately go to the Code 41 team section and click on that and look at all the videos that the team have filmed because that is just absolutely a highlight of this website. I love what you've done with these videos and you can go and check out Amir's particular one, which is a kind of, what was the character, Dr. Evil? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so Amir is Dr. Evil of Code41.com. So go and check that out, go and check out those videos. So Amir, tell us all about what is happening at Code41. We are like a Swiss watch brand based on values of community and transparency. Uh, we have started in 2016, building a community of more than 500,000 people. And today we have more than 20,000 customers all around the world. And uh, our approach is very transparent, uh, a bit, let's say, different from other traditional watch brands. We are giving the opportunity to our community to participate on the creation process of each of our watches to comment, to vote. So it's really like, it's not a, a typical brand. I think it's more a movement, you know, like the community movement we have built for six years now. And what is happening right now? Why have I got you on to speak about Code 41 just now? There are big developments happening at the moment. In June 2022, we, we announced that we want to raise funds okay, to accelerate our growth. And from June to December, we were thinking how we could get our community to enjoy this fundraising. And then we got into thinking that it would be a great opportunity to first open the capital of our company to our community that have been supporting us like for now six years. And we have decided to open our capital to our community with uh, this fundraising through the form of uh, participation certificates. And the specificity of that is it's going to be, we are going to tokenize these participation certificates into the blockchain. So it's something that no watch brand today have done, opening its capital to the community and also digitalizing it in the blockchain, it's something quite, I think, disruptive, innovative. And that's what we are going to do from the 9th of February to the 28th of February. Members of our community will have the opportunity to buy shares the company and to enjoy, you know, our adventure to, to be more integrated with us. That's what's going to happen. So we make an announcement last week. We have a great interest from our community and from the media also. And so what does that actually mean in terms of what you're looking to raise? Is there a target, either of number of people involved or amount of funds raised? Well, we don't have a target in our minds. First, it was more to give the experience and to, let's say, allow our community to participate. What we will raise will be fine for us. Okay, the most important for us was really to give to our community first priority to onboard them in the in the fundraising. And as we have announced in June, we are going to make maybe later another fundraising with private investors. And so what can we expect is going to come first as a result of this 
integration with the community. Is there a particular project you have in mind that's going to be the, the first fruits of the capital raise? Well, this capital raise will allow us to accelerate our growth. And uh, we have a strategy for the next, next uh, four years. First, we want to expand to new markets. The U.S. market, Asian market, we know there is a, a great potential. What we want to do is to use the same strategies that made our success, meaning to build a community, for example, in the States, to gather a passionate of watchmaking and to build with them and to allow them to participate on the creation of great timepieces with them. The second thing also, this fundraising will allow us to finance is really to create or to, yeah, to create a, a bit of stock on certain pieces we have, certain models. Meaning today we know that some people find it very, very long to wait one year or even one year and a half to get a cut 41. And this is a second strategy we have is to have faster delivery time. And third is to continue to innovate and watchmaking, what you want to innovate, you have to invest and you have to do some R&D. And this is why we are raising funds today to accelerate our growth and yeah, continue to create some uh, exceptional timepieces. So specifically, how do people get involved? What do they need to do to take part in this? Is it via the website? Is there a special link? What's the situation? In our website, members can buy a package. We have defined like four different packages depending on the amount of investment they would like to invest. Each package give the possibility to participate in the in the crowd investing round and also some other advantages like uh, extension of, of uh, guarantees, uh, some discounts, you know, like a live discount on our collections. And then after we have our partner, Taurus, which is uh, regulated and where the crowd investing operation is happening there. And they will have, you know, like has any regular financial operations, there is KYC, there is some operation to do, and they will be able to invest through our partners, Taurus. Excellent. So if you're interested in this, then go and check out the Code41 website, Code41.com. Thank you very much, Emir, for joining us. I All the best, and we'll no doubt hear from you later in the year as to just how it's gone. Thank you so much. Let's finish with a review from yourself, Ariel. You were at a Hublot event, and there's another rainbow watch. Are we done now? Have we had enough of rainbows? No. Can we just go back to monochrome? Never. Or is there still room for more? Because, <laughs> okay, that's that question answered. No, it's not never. You got a solid four, five more years with a lot of rainbow watches. And then after okay. all the high-end rainbow watches, you have more years of it trickling down to the fashion space. So you got like 10 years minimum <laughs> of rainbow watches coming out on a regular basis. Okay, and was this Hublot particularly impressive? The event was very impressive. Murakami it was a cool character, a nice person, very talented, very interesting. Uh, I mean, everything he does is very entertaining. I can completely understand why LVMH loves to work with him. It's the fourth collaboration, I guess, third watch that he's done with Hublot. And at first I was like, uh, not more with the NFT things until I realized like this is what he wanted. Like he wanted to do a, I don't know how to explain it. He wanted to do an NFT thing because apparently he had been spending the pandemic, you know, trading NFTs. And I talk about this in the article on a blog to watch, but I think what's important to say 
is that like this is from the people that brought you Pokemon. Like this is like actually complicated, nuanced gamification of consumerism. He's experimenting. Some of it's artistic. Some of it is sort of like, you know, social engineering. There's this interesting game associated with like collecting stuff. It kind of sounds nuts, but maybe just insane enough to happen. People will talk about it. It makes for like great dinner conversations. Like, see that rainbow Murakami watch? Well, let me tell you the story about how you actually can maybe have the right to buy ones. Like, oh, tell me that. And like, that's probably enough. That's worth the entire exercise is the, the storytelling component of it. Ublo takes their Unico, which is their chronograph movement, and they just take the chronograph out and just make it a three-hand, and it's got like a spinning flower thing on there. I'm still not sure why they have a Unico, because it's not a chronograph, but it's cool to see the Unico movement in the back, and it's not, you know, a chronograph watch. It's an enjoyable timepiece, but this is really for the collectors. I mean, the pool of people that can buy this is like a few hundred, really. So I don't think people should be like all up in arms, like, oh, Ublow, no one else is going to do this. Like, that's true. They know, like, no one but these NFT traders are going to do this. This is just one of many Ublows. Just a story. Interesting. And again, when they do stuff with these pop culture and fashion and, and design icons like Takashi Murakami, it, it's just fun to see what they're doing. So just to be clear, the kind of smiley face is actually on the top side of the crystal. Yeah. So there's an external piece to this watch that's connected. Does it just freely spin? Yeah, it's like a rotor. Just think of it as a rotor. Yeah, but is it is it connected to something within the watch? Oh, no, it doesn't have a functional. It's not like winding anything. What I mean is when you eventually knock this off of the door handle when you walk past it, is it connected to the internal side of the watch such that it's going to tear the internals of the watch to shreds as you knock the stem oh which my god i to. i feel like i feel physical pain just hearing about you abusing this watch <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting idea to have something really tangible on the face of the watch that you can actually interact with in some way shape or form so i think it is quite fascinating i i is the Unico chronograph movement stacked? Like, is it effectively a modular movement, although all no. in-house? I, I believe it to be an integrated movement. Yeah, it's an, yeah, it is. It just as to how you, if it's an integrated movement, how you manage to remove the chronograph functions, or have they just left the stuff inside and oh, just not just, included no the hands. hands? Yeah, it's just no hands. So the whole thing is still there. There's a, you know places where there should be other pushers through the side of the well, watch but they've just removed it all yeah why not the Mirror is an integrated movement as well and yet you know Zenit created a few a few versions of it without the chronograph so it, it can be done yeah oh no i know it can be done i'm just curious as to whether although it was in-house whether it was actually a stacked movement such that you could because I, I wondered whether the reason they'd done it is to create more space within the case for the diamond setting to reduce the height of the movement but if it's integrated it presumably hasn't changed the height of the movement all that much whereas obviously if it was a stacked movement it would actually have given them more space internally to do things now you can communicate with the show email podcasts at a blog to watch.com or communicate with any of us on our instagram accounts david where are you on instagram it's abtw underscore david is what it is it's what it is and it's what it's staying. Ariel, where are you? I am on Instagram at Ariel to watch. You can uh, read my articles on blogtowatch.com. And in addition to this show, I do the Superlative Podcast. And you can find me at 
at Rick TikTok on Instagram. Do check the show notes for details of how to sign up for the newsletter. And if you're extra special and you reach out to me on Instagram, then for this week only, before the official big launch, you can join our Secret Magic Discord server. So if you can meet with the approval and answer six questions as to why gem set watches are now a thing of the past then we might give you some early access to the new a blog to watch discord server which is going to be fully up and running in time for all the watches and wonders coverage so if you'd like an invite to that then do reach out to us other than that that is it for us you'll have heard an interesting chat with code 41 and there'll be more on that next week but check out the website for all of those details goodbye thanks everyone thanks for listening catch you next time bye bye